0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, David Daniels. Welcome to the podcast,
1: David. Thank you, Richard. It's uh, inspiring to be here. I've really enjoyed your podcast and i uh, sort of stunned that I get to, a chance to share.
0: Really glad you're here, David. You offered the wonderful prayer before we started, and I sense your great spirit and your love of Heavenly Father and and I, with you, joined, this will be a helpful podcast. I'm going to give a little bit of overview of David, um, just so every, our listeners know, um, kind of an overview of the podcast. David is in his mid-40s. He grew up in a military family, he grew up active LDS, served a mission to Puerto Rico. Um, thanks for your service. Returned from his mission, got married about age 21 in 1995, and that marriage Lasted for maybe five years, and then that marriage ended. And then David really um, came to terms with his sexual orientation as gay. And David was away from the church for maybe 10 years, 12 years from about 2000 to 2013, sorry, 2013, and then returned to the church. So David is gay. David is active LDS. And that's just an overview of of David. And now we'll kind of get into the specifics of his story. David is one of the people that reached out to me, um, tracked down my email address or something. And that happens at times. And most of um, those I try to have on the podcast. Um, so if you're listening and think, you know, would my story be helpful? It might be. And we're trying to get as many people on the podcast as we can. And I think the boundaries I'm trying to create are, you know, to be su- uh, to be supportive of LGBTQ people and hear their stories is the most important And and also to be re- supportive of the church. This is a podcast that's pro-church, and I'm a deeply committed at Latter-day Saint. Um, and David's a story, obviously, of someone that's in the church, has returned to the church. But sometimes we do share stories of people that have left, and if they're respectful for the church, we do share those stories. But I realize that some people have really difficult stories as they're stepping away from the church, and I'll hear those stories individually. And Sometimes we kind of get into that in the podcast, but anyway, that's kind of the general boundaries we've created. So, um, And if you have time, please rate our podcast. I realize that's the thing. No one's ever told me that. You can actually like a podcast and rate it, and um, we don't accept donations or anything, but anything you can do to help more listeners engage in our podcast as a fellow listener is something that I'd certainly appreciate, but more importantly, so more people can hear The stories of our LGBTQ members. So with that, David, take us to kind of, you know, you grew up in a military family. When did you kind of
1: know you were gay? Um, Well, at the time, uh, the family was living in the Philippines. Wow. And uh, no one really explains to you. uh, Well, I guess they do try to explain the birds and the bees. Uh, We were going back a little bit. My dad, woke me up one night, probably about 10 o'clock at night to explain the birds and bees. And the only thing I remember was that uh, people are going to probably tell jokes and you shouldn't listen to those jokes. And that's all I remember. And so uh, when puberty hit, I was in the Philippines and I think probably like fifth grade. And uh, in fact, one, one kid, uh, we were in science class and he turns to me and says, uh, Dave, do you know what puberty is? And I'm like, you can't act like you don't know. anything in the fifth grade no you have to know everything and so of course puberty is a disease and the class laughs at me and they thought yikes (laughs) well turns out i was right Uh, because puberty (laughs) just uh, changes you and and suddenly the hormones are rushing around and uh i remember in uh, junior high school like just going through a yearbook with a friend of mine and like well do you think he's cute and uh, my friend's like dave guys don't think other guys are cute um and uh, something that I haven't really shared with is that around that age, I just, uh, with a friend or two, we actually would, would uh, I guess, cross the line that they're like uh, just like touching and petting mm-hmm. kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get too much into what we did, but it was enough where it's like, I realized that it was something that I liked but I just knew that I liked guys. And then when you go into young men's, uh, the chastity le- lessons, suddenly I felt really horrible. Mm-hmm. And I think a mistake that I made then and and even until uh, I returned to the churches, I just kept everything inside. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's probably one of Satan's uh, best tools is to make us just feel guilty, uh, feel of no worth, and it's, and and really make us feel scared that if we share it with anyone, a parent or a bishop or a loved one, that uh, somehow God is going to hate us, that they're going to kick us out of uh, school or church or something like that, or kick us out of the family. And uh, so growing up, I just, I knew I had this attraction to guys. and uh, But I just created this idea in my mind that if I went on a mission and that if I was married and had kids, uh, that someday God would just turn me straight.
0: It's pretty honest. Thanks for being so honest about just your youth. And it sounds like a little mess up occurred there. And, um, it sounds like you kept that pretty closeted to yourself. And I don't blame you for that. I, I think it's really difficult to talk about those things. And I think you're right when we are able to talk about them in a healthy way, it helps us move on. So thank you for that. Did you take on a label at that time? is gay or same sex attraction you just kind of say I'm attracted to guys and just going to leave that on the shelf and move forward in my life
1: at the time I don't know if I really I didn't ever tell anyone until after my uh, later when my, my marriage had uh failed that mm-hmm. I finally just I I said I'm gay mm-hmm. uh, but I at the time and this was like mid 80s uh the in the news it was that uh, i i started hearing about gay people coming down with what they thought was a gay cancer and it was like during the aids crisis right. And so that was the only thing that i knew about uh, gay people was that they're getting aids and which was a scary uh possibility that well and and they didn't know how it was transmitted or i didn't know um and so that was just scary and it just seemed like well gay people are evil. Um, I didn't know too much about what the church's policies were about gay people. Um, when I was in high school, I did overhear a phone call from between my dad and my uncle. My uncle was serving as a mission president and one of his missionaries had come out and was asking my dad, who was a military chaplain, hmm. uh, what, uh, what, were some of the therapies or what some of the treatments or counseling that could be done and i'm i'm listening to my dad explain electroshock therapy hmm. and uh just getting scared like oh i don't want to go through something like that that sounded like torture and so that would that makes one scared and so uh i pretty much tried to stick to my plan of going on a mission and stuff and thought oh, I'll, I'll, But God help me, kind of thing.
0: How was your mental health during this time? Um, Because some report they're really suicidal, and it's just a really tough road, and you get in really dark places. And some don't.
1: Yeah, Uh, in my life, I've never. I think part of it is just because I have a big self-preservation kick. I'm afraid of death. Uh, I know we all, no one gets out of life alive, uh, but the idea of taking my own life has just never really crossed. Uh, My mind Um, Although I did have a cousin who took his life and I've had two uncles who took their life and To our knowledge, it's not because of gay issues, but probably more mental mental health Mm -hmm. issues that they've had and uh, I've have another family member who uh, deals with like anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. and so obviously depression and 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 suicide is always a real possibility but for me, it's not been a an issue
0: How many siblings do you have? You grew up obviously in an active LDS family.
1: Well, yeah, I am the oldest of seven kids. Uh, There's at least one kid born in each state from California to Kansas. Uh, My mom was hoping to have a child while we lived in Maryland, but that would have been a lot more work to finish (laughs) that line across the United States. Uh, This
0: is a military family. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah, uh, I was uh, born uh, when my dad was stationed in South Korea, and uh, he found out via telegram that he had a boy uh, the day before Mother's Day. Uh, wow. So that's and back back then they didn't know what the gender of the baby was going to be. And uh, uh, my mom was staying with her parents at the time in, in, in Nevada. Are your parents alive? They are, and my parents live in uh, uh, Orem. They have since retired from the Air Force, uh-huh. and uh, they have they try to spend their time visiting grandchildren. Uh, in uh, New Jersey, where I have a brother who's in the military, I have a, another brother who's, happened, who's also gay, who lives in North Carolina, and he lives with his partner. Mm-hmm. And then I have uh, some family that live, live in Arizona, and one's a teacher, uh, one does flooring, uh, and then I have a sister with her uh, family in, or- in Orem, and another sister also lives in Orem.
0: I talked to a mother this week that has two gay sons, and my assumption was the two gay sons would be really close because they're both sort of walking the same road together. And she said, "Well, actually, they're not very close. I don't know how close you are with your brother."
1: Um, I would say that when when we're together in the in the same room, uh, everyone gets along. Uh, Good. I, I actually, I won't say we have a I have a more of a civil 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 Sibling, I can't say you're the word. doing just fine uh sibling rivalry with uh brother number two um he that one's straight but the gay brother uh but it is most funny is that uh I was the last one out of nine people in the family that to find out that he was gay <laughs> and uh, I think it was part because our, our family some of these topics uh, we just don't talk about or we keep It away from other family members um when i i I won't say that i came out to my dad because i was sort of outed uh to my dad uh by uh i'll just say a creep from the internet who had first gone out with my brother then found me on the internet just on a chat room or something like that realized we were brothers and and hey that creep contacted my dad and, and talked hey i want to talk to you about your son paul that's my brother. Uh, he is gay. And they talked for about an hour. And uh, then towards the end of the call, he's like, oh, by the way, I have some other news. Your other son is gay, too. And uh, this is a person who would just blackmail BYU students to either sleep with him oh. or turn him into the BYU honor code. Uh, and he had been loosely avail- affiliated with Evergreen. And so I think the way that we were outed to my parents in some ways, my, da- my dad finally approached me via email, saying, Dave, I think you might be gay. And uh, I, that scared me. And so I didn't talk to him for a few days, and finally he's calling and calling. And so finally, I answer the phone just, and I'm already crying, because I know that it, what he's gonna talk about. And he's like, well, let's get you through therapy. Let's not tell anyone that you're gay, until you're cured. I'll pay for counseling and I'll pay for therapy, and and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking electroshock therapy. But how old are you at that time? I was 27 years old, okay. And uh, I having just
0: for time concept. That's like 15 years ago when we're still talking about electroshock therapy. Yeah,
1: and I don't know if they were doing the shock therapy at that time, but uh, it was enough in my mind that uh, and and having dealt with it since I was. 12 11 uh I'm like do not I don't want therapy I don't need therapy uh later I find out that my brother uh, did go through therapy had tried dated dating uh women at the time and uh he ended up moving to North Carolina I think part of it was to put distance between him and the church but also him and our family mm-hmm. I think he thought he just wanted to live his own life uh with a little bit of privacy and he just thought that if he got away from the church's influence, uh, he would be happier. Um, and so uh, I didn't find out a, about him really. He knew about me. He knew and, about you. And, and eventually the brothers and sisters around Utah and in Arizona either found out about me or because or, uh, I wasn't trying to keep it a secret, but I wasn't telling anyone.
0: How's your relationship with your father now?
1: Um, it is really good. Uh, my, my relationship, uh, with my dad is, uh, I, I won't, I won't say stellar. Uh, he, he, he's often, often his own mind. He loves to do KSL classifieds and, and shopping and like to, he likes to teach sailing, uh, in Utah County. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when he's around, uh, we, we talk and, and I don't think that there's really any boundaries that we, we build up anymore. How's
0: your relationship with your mom?
1: Very good as well. Good. Uh and so I, I do try to spend more time with them. But oftentimes it's just watching Jeopardy at their place, uh and then a murder mystery movie uh in in the evening and which is fun.
0: Uh it sounds like your family's doing the best they can and you're all trying to learn and stay together and enjoy family relationships. So um did you come out I think you already answered this question. You didn't come out to any companions Did you come close to coming out to anybody or did you just were you just on your mission and focused on that? And this was kind of way back, you know, on the back burner Uh,
1: on my on my mission. I was uh, no, I didn't. I never came close to telling anyone uh, that I was gay, Uh, not my mission president or any of my companions. I never had an attraction. I got along with my uh, companions just fine. Uh, Any time I met him, I, I warned him ahead of time that I probably would get tonsillitis at least once. Because uh, you have
0: a lot of tonsillitis. I had,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, uh, within a month of going in the MTC, I got the, I got tonsillitis and was in bed for three to four days. And it, antibiotics were the only things that would have helped.
0: And do um, you still get tonsillitis? No. Where uh, did you get your tonsils out? I
1: did. So after my mission, uh, I, I had my tonsils out. And since then, I haven't had any problem with strep throat or uh, tonsillitis. Good. But I was convinced that it was punishment from God for uh, being gay and being on a mission. But, uh, and I did have one companion who challenged my faith for not, uh, for, well, for falling ill while he was my companion.
0: So it's just interesting as you're now, you know, in your mid 40s, going back to your earlier selves and trying to, reconcile this sexual orientation and so here you are you know with bits and pieces of information like electric shop therapy and wanting to serve a mission and hoping it would make you straight and then getting sick which is something most missionaries weren't getting sick with the same and so then you sort of self-declared that I'm getting sick because I'm gay did you think it was God's punishment for you or did you think it was you know
1: um, I really did think it was uh, God's punishment. I, oh. I thought God was uh, uh, just had it out for me, or just like, I do you I, I can't have you representing uh, the church when I know the real you. I know the real person that you so are. So honest, you say that, and uh, and and so having come out, I, I still have self esteem issues. It's honest, um, but I I am so much. Further ahead, in, in, in accepting myself and loving myself, uh, and, and my mom doesn't like it, but I do refer to myself as a, a gay son or gay, as a gay son of God, uh,
0: which is the words that Brother Matt Easton used in his BYU commencement speech.
1: Well, and in, in many talks that I have given, uh, I, I, I refer, refer to myself as a prodigal son of God, because uh, in one way or another. Whether we're gay or straight, transgender or bisexual, whatever, uh, we are prodigal children because oh. uh, I, I have learned of other people's challenges whether uh, it's a physical or mental or uh, attractions uh, what honesty I mean there's so many vices or things that uh, plague each one of us in many ways. If you could go back
0: and talk to your, your for yourself right before you're going to the MTC, what would you say to yourself?
1: I, I think that I would have uh, told myself that I need to come out. And, and even though it was in 1992 and uh, probably not very popular, uh, to just come out to my family and to my bishop and uh, maybe not seek counseling, but at least find uh, why. I I think I spent so much time before returning to the church uh, keeping things from people, Uh, just treating it like it's my life, it's my problem, I'll deal with it on my own. And I think had I involved uh, a, a bishop or my parents, I would have had someone there to help help me and be there for me. And I I didn't have to do that alone. And and I know that Christ is always there, but I think in many ways he's there through the help of others. Um, Christ is there when when your parents are supporting you, when you have brothers and sisters who support you. Um, I, I, In many ways, I'm envious of the culture today where uh, teenagers are are comfortable approaching that more comfortable approaching their parents and coming out uh even though their path might change quickly um or they might fall away for a bit uh, I think coming out is important and I think it it can be life changing and and in many ways save someone's life.
0: I love that answer. I'm thinking I was scrolling through a news feed today talking about an LDS, uh, LGBTQ person, and the person was making the assumption that this is a choice because more and more people are coming out. You know, he sort of said there's probably some that are biologically LGBTQ, but the increase in people coming out is because it's a choice or because it's Satan. And I think what I believe is what you just said is you would have come out (laughs) You didn't come out till, you know, we're gonna talk about that. But so I look at the just like you correctly shared, the more people coming out is just because it's safer to come out. And people need to come out to feel the community and support and love and not walk this road alone. So I don't think Satan's I don't think the influence of Satan's increasing and that's why people are coming out or any of these other reasons that might put everything back into a nice tidy box. It's just the maturing of society in a good way that people are able to come out. So that's my feeling after. Um, talk about, you know, you're, you you kind of wanted to become straight. I don't think you just served a mission just to become straight because I'll bet you blessed a lot of people in the Dominican Republic. And oh, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, wrong part of that <laughs> island. Let's keep you in Puerto Rico. And I assume that did you – And you helped a lot of people. I just sensed from your spirit and the prayer you offered and the maturity of your soul that you weren't just there just to be straight, that you brought a lot of people to Christ. Was there a time towards the end of your mission where you sort of revisited your sexual orientation and said, okay, I'm coming to the end of my mission or when you were home and and I'm still gay? Or did you think you were straight at any point?
1: Um, No, I never thought that I was straight. I I uh, still—because— I I still knew that I had that attraction, uh, and, and that have possibly just thought, okay, well, this is step one after my mission. I I think as as your mission closes, you start thinking, okay, the mission's almost over. The next step is to get married, whether you're gay or straight, that's just the next step. And, uh, which is, I think one reason there's so many young people get married after their mission is that's just the next step of in life, uh, but I just, uh, I think my men- mental state was just, okay, I I've, I faked it this long. I can keep uh, faking it and and living in the closet uh, if need be forever.
0: And was it harder emotionally on you as you came home and realized you were still straight? I mean, still gay. Um, it, or did you just, like you said, just go forward and this has been the road I'm on. I'm closeted and I'm just going to move forward and it wasn't a harder time for you.
1: Um, it 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 was barreling forward and and just not feeling the time to feel oh I don't feel ten percent straighter I still feel I guess a hundred percent gay I didn't feel any big difference and, uh, and did
0: you beat yourself up over that mess up you kind of referenced at the beginning of the podcast Did you think well if I hadn't had that mess up um, I would be straighter This is now because of that mess up I'm Forever hardwired differently. Yeah. Did you go back to that a lot or just kind of put that in the past to move forward?
1: I I think I still, even today, even though I've gone through the repentance process, I, I, even today, I I, I know that God is like, you need to forgive yourself. Uh, At times I'm like, I don't know why I was so dumb or so stupid or why I just uh, broke these uh, rules that uh, God had instituted. So I still, I, 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 that's something that I need to get still get over is uh, overcoming regret, and uh, whether it's for anything in my life, sometimes really it's, honest. it's it's sometimes really hard to just let that go in the past and realize I went through the repentance process because I know that having gone through, I I, I have felt clean, and uh, but at times it's and maybe it's just I tie my actions to my feelings. Uh, and And I know that the actions were there, and so those feelings are still real and still can honest. Hurt.
0: I think sometimes forgiving ourselves is the hardest thing. I think so. and I think I think God it's easy I th- always think it's easy for Christ to forgive because he's already paid the price of my sins and your sins. so I think he actually enjoys forgiving because we're taking advantage of something he's done. Yes, but it's sometimes harder for us to forgive each other or for ourselves. An institute teacher, and I've shared this before, that talked about a pink Mormon. And a pink Mormon is someone that thinks, well, with a lot of repenting on my part and a lot of forgiving on the Lord's part, he can get me from red, sin is scarlet, but he can't get, but I'm kind of different than everybody else, and I can't get all the way to white. Um, I'm going to be pink for the rest of my life, and I'm going to define myself by always kind of limiting myself. So I call, he branded as a pink Mormon. Someone that forever sees themselves as different because of their past. And I think I can see where we all do that to ourselves. And we we sort of lower our future path because of our past. But I think it undersells the atonement. And I think Christ doesn't want anybody to feel like they're pink or different or their eternal destiny and for any way has changed. So anyway, any of our listeners, let's note any of us be pink Mormons. Let's take advantage of the atonement and look in the mirror and see ourselves as white and uh, and no and just like god remember our sins no more so you got married tell us about that david
1: um yeah or I,
0: anything you want to share before then
1: oh well when i got back from my uh, mission i went uh we it's been a few months in texas that's where the family was at the time and uh, my dad was actually uh, in saudi arabia on one of the military bases there um, and so uh, the, fam- the remaining family in Texas uh, went up to uh, school. I, go- I went to BYU. And uh, over the summer, I just uh, reunited with a- an old friend of the family. Uh, she uh, is like four months younger than I am. Uh, her name's Christina, and she's a wonderful person. Uh, and uh, she worked at the local magic store in Orem. And uh, during the summertime in between jobs and I was doing summer school, uh, I would go and just spend time with her, Uh, just hang out at the magic store because who doesn't like to do magic tricks? It's like, look, I can make my thumb disappear. Uh, And she and I, we just started hanging out and just being friends. And I think I was so in many ways desperate to find somebody who would accept me for who I was, or at least who I was presenting myself as. Uh, that I thought she's the she's the one she's the only one that'll ever work because she actually acknowledges my existence. It seemed because uh, I in high school I would never the only dates I went on were like prom and uh, Sadie Hawkins uh, the big dates where it's like you have to go otherwise it's like I didn't have a, a big interest in dating uh, in high school so uh, spending time with her I, in in many ways I think it's like you know what this is my one chance. And uh, there were red flags uh, before, but uh, after several months of just hanging out and dating, uh, I ended up asking her if she wanted to get married, and she said yes. So uh, at that point, it's like, well, nothing can change my mind. We're going to get married, and it's life is going to be uh, perfect.
0: And you were married in the temple.
1: Yes, uh, we were married in the Manti temple, but getting to the temple... Was a challenge because uh, she did not. She had asked me at one point not to get married in the temple. Uh, I won't go into her own concerns, but mm-hmm. she did have uh, concerns and and uh, her own her own issues mm-hmm. uh, that would have affected the marriage. And uh, I think in some ways, uh, our marriage after a while, it, we just really became roommates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we were friends. Uh, roommates she did her thing I did my thing Uh, but after a while it we really were just under the same roof together Mm -hmm. and uh, I think it was probably even a little bit worse than that because uh, after about four or five years even my parents were like Dave if this marriage isn't working for you uh, you do not have to stay in the marriage Um, which I think is something in many ways uh, heartbreaking because it feels like a failure and the and it felt like I had failed, and that, oh, the big step number two in my process to become straight had suddenly, like, gone out the window. It's really honest. But by that time, she had, she had gone inactive, and it's really hard to go to, uh, to church when your spouse is not going, and so eventually, I, I became inactive, and, uh, and then one day, I just, like, thought, this is not working. I, had uh, so i i was the one who ended up pulling the plug on the marriage and we're still good friends still good to friends this, to this day uh, so we exchange christmas presents and birthday presents and uh i help her out with her uh, business that she runs with her her new husband uh and and i'm gonna be happier for them and i think they've found their their uh true love so
0: it's a that's a wonderful story, a painful story, a difficult story. I'm sure those are some of the most difficult years of your life. I love that these two former spouses have this relationship together and you are friends, and that can't work in every situation, but I love the way it, it works for you and your former wife. Um, when you said there were red flags before you got married, was that around your sexual orientation or other things?
1: I, I think it was, part of it was that
0: uh... – because part of me asking that question, wants to if there's listeners wondering if they should get married, yeah, um, you know, no matter where they are on the LGBT or not on that spectrum, I think you maybe have some insights just for couples that are thinking about getting married.
1: Well, uh, and and I am perpetually single, and so taking relationship <laughs> advice from from me would be horrible. But things that I've have have heard that that can cause fractures in a marriage. Our uh, disagreements over finances, and we did have financial problems, mm-hmm. uh, and then also uh, ideas over, like, are you on the same page over religion, or mm-hmm. your, are your religious beliefs the same? Mm-hmm. And so her her beliefs about the church were different than mine, uh, and and, the, and even in the dating, even when we're, even when dating, and even after we were married. Uh, We really didn't do anything in the way of like praying together and uh, reading the scriptures together. I think had I found, uh, had I been more patient and perhaps found someone who was uh, closer aligned to the church, I probably would have stayed married possibly forever, but at least longer. And I think that, uh, well, we would have probably ended up having kids at one point, but that would, these are all what ifs and uh hyper uh, oh, I can't think of the word at the moment. I so.
0: like that David, because uh. I love you know, I think sometimes there's so much cultural pressure, and just it's the next thing you're supposed to do, you come off a mission um you know I'm thinking it's interesting, my mission present, I'm remembering Alice Ivory's advice to me, and it surprised me. He actually said he did talk about marriage, but he said it's the it's the biggest priority for when you get home, but it's not time related. So he kind of, he kind of took the time element off. He said it was still the number one priority to find the right one, but he didn't say it was a certain time. And I think that was really good advice for me. And, um, and and I think, but I love, you know, some of your sharing here because I think the cultural pressure can mask some of those questions you didn't ask. Um, and I think it's really good for couples to ask all those questions and have the confidence if there's really not a good foundation there to potentially, you know, not not be married. Yeah. So, good, very good thoughts. Any other thoughts on that, David?
1: Well, I uh, looking at my parents' relationship, I think they they set the the gold star example. So uh, growing up, we did read the scriptures, pretty much the Book of Mormon every day, and that's, I think, how many of the kids learned to read was uh, with the Book of Mormon uh, every morning. Uh, We did have family uh, home evening every uh, Monday night, and I think my parents pretty much did everything that was expected. They are, uh, I'll say, inseparable. I've never seen my parents argue together in front of their children and and i'm sure they have disagreements but it i did talk to my mom uh, later and and she's like that was something that we wanted to make sure we did not want to have contention in front of the children
0: that's correct
1: and uh maybe that made me feel that my relationships because i did have contentions at times uh, meant that my relationship was failing but i think that i didn't put enough into any relationship, whether it was gay or straight to really have a solid foundation and, and something that was growing rather than just coasting.
0: So here you are roughly 27. Do you remember? Is yes. that the right? R- yeah. Roughly 27. You're still young. Yes. But now you're divorced and you've been in a marriage and you're sort of waking up one morning divorced, realizing you're gay. And wondering, take us back to that moment. What did you? How did you feel? And what did you think your future was?
1: Um, I I do remember that, like the first night where I was on my own, I went and found a liquor store, and it's like, well, let's try drinking. And uh, it was not a great experience. Um, but I thought, you know, if I'm out of the church or uh, stepping away, I might as well just go whole hog, which is not a great. Thing to do uh, in any respect. It's like word of wisdom out the window, law of chastity out the window. Um, I I did have in the back of my mind uh, that I knew the church was true and that it taught correct principles. Um, I think that my parents had helped instill that in in me and uh, had a testimony since I was a young child. But I thought I can always come back. In my mind, I always there's always. The opportunity hopefully always the opportunity uh to to return to the church if i found that i didn't find the happiness that i wanted uh by i guess living the the gay lifestyle
0: did you kind of know you were going to go live the gay lifestyle as your marriage ended or
1: as as it was ending yes i i thought you know i i uh, i thought i had given it my best uh, knowing now I did not give it my best, but even had I given it my best at that point, it's like, you know, I tried uh, the Lord's plan. Let's try the world's plan uh, and see where it leads me. And uh, and and so it went on for several years, but I, I'd really never found, I think, what I was looking for.
0: You remind me of Brother Tom Christofferson a little bit when he's You know, he did everything he knew how to do to be straight. You know, he went on a mission, he got married, and then pretty quickly in his situation that he knew that marriage wasn't going to work. And so he kind of self-resigned, but he never, he just felt like there was no future for him or no path. He didn't know what to do, and it wasn't out of rebellion, and it wasn't out of turning away from God. It was just, you know, he didn't know what else to do. I hope I'm paraphrasing Tom's story correctly. So he kind of proac to he proactively resigned from the church and then had a partner for several decades. And so there's some similarities between and so when I heard Tom talk about that, it did give me more empathy for the difficult road and why someone might say, Well, I've done everything I know how to do in this path to be straight and make it work, including being married. And Tom I think was pretty kind and say, you know, that just added to her burden because I couldn't fully be the partner she needed to be. And maybe you feel that same way about your former wife. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I I think oftentimes when uh, we are doing everything we're supposed to in the church and having, uh, let's say we're married and have children and uh, people that I've talked to where they might even come, come out later in life, 45, 50, 60, um, I think they oftentimes feel like I. They still have that attraction, and they they almost feel like I'm. I've been denying myself. I'm not straight, uh, and I think oftentimes we're just told if we have faith, we'll be healed. And for my personal re- personal revelation, eventually came to me that in my lifetime, I am I'm going to have this attraction. I don't know what's going to happen in the eternities. Uh, but I know that in this life, I'm not going to uh, be turned straight.
0: So when you, now I'm still back to the day you started to drink. <laughs> and that wasn't a good experience. And I think both of us invite people not to do that. And even if you're stepping away from the church, I love what you said. You don't have to step away from all the values and beliefs and principles you have. You Sometimes we go, I don't know what the right term is, we go 180 instead of three degrees or five degrees. And so I, sometimes when I do meet with people that are stepping away, I invite them, invite them to stay first of all, but if they're really stepping away, then you want to keep them connected to God and keep them to their values and all the good things and not sort of throw out. What's that line? The bath, don't throw out the baby with the bath water or something.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think uh, a number of uh, people and I'm, I always refer to Facebook friends because that mm-hmm. seems to be the community we build these days. And uh, so often, uh, when people leave the church, they often almost have to justify uh, their d- their departure. And and if that means they have to call into question their testimony, I think oftentimes that I don't know how I don't have numbers, but it, it I see so many people. Uh, especially when there's news in the church, so they're up in arms or up in, uh, like, well, that means the church isn't true, or that I, everything I know about the church was wrong. And uh, there are plenty of people who do. They may leave the church, or they they might just stand on the sideline. That I think they do have a testimony. And uh, when I was away from the church, I uh, had was really teaching myself photography, and I started just photographing the protests uh, because around that time is when the church was uh, backing, I think, Amendment 3 in Utah and Prop 8 in California. And I knew the church's policy, and I respect the church's policy, even when I was away from the church, of one man, one woman, and and that eternal marriage is a principle uh, based before the foundation of the world. But I just wanted my fellow... Gay brothers and sisters to be able to uh, be married and have the legal protections of marriage, and so I, I did margin the protests, but I always knew the church was true. I never, it, I never became an atheist or had thought, uh, questioned the doctrine of the church.
0: Did you feel you're outside of God's love
1: uh, during this that, time? I think so, and and at times uh, when when I was upset sometimes i push my family a little too far away and I, I i think the more the more i feel god's love when i spend more time with my family and so when i wasn't spending much time with them and i was spending time with either friends or i learned to play water polo with a salt the team in salt lake that uh it's a gay team and they swim and whatever but uh, I, I I was finding happiness there, but I was I think I was missing out, or I felt outside of God's uh, view that I was just on my own uh, during that time.
0: What were your hopes during this time? If I had, in a real honest moment, if this is roughly 1995, well, tell me the years. I'm.
1: Oh, it would have been around uh, 2001 or so. When you kind of left. When I when I had, had left completely. And, and
0: 2013 is when you came back. Yes. So if I'd mentioned 2005 and a real honest moment, would you have said, I, I actually want to find a way to return? Or would you say, I want to find a same-sex partner and spend my life in a same-sex relationship? Or would you have said, I really don't know?
1: Yeah. I think at the time I, I would have love to have found a uh someone to date and then to marry uh someone who is gay uh, and male and i and in my mind i thought well god probably has a plan for me i and and i would have i think god made me this way therefore i'm justified in acting this way uh which today i don't necessarily agree with. If someone wants to do that, I wish them the best. Uh, In fact, I invite them to hire me as their wedding photographer. (laughs) Uh, Gay or lesbian, I want to photograph your wedding. But uh, I just, at that time, if I had the chance, I think I would have been married. So what shifted for you? I think over time, I, 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 I think around 2010, I had just stopped, I won't say stopped dating, but it just slowed down. Uh, I had become much more active in, in, uh I have a full-time job, but in the side, I had been trying to learn photography and uh, trying to do a f- small photography business just for the fun. My goal is to have photography pay for itself because it's an expensive hobby. And uh, I was spending more time with that and it was making it hard to date. And uh, so the... More time, I, I, fe- I and I was finding happiness and then just sheer joy photographing people, whether it was photographing a cookbook, a cookbook about burritos, um, whatever it was. Weddings, I, I was finding joy in that, but finding also that I was not dating as much. And I think around 2012, I started realizing, well, if I'm not dating at all, um, I could always go back to church And I could, uh, uh, that way, I won't say hedge my bets, because it makes it sound like uh, we're gambling on our salvation. But I thought, well, I I can be single and out of the church, or single in the church. But around this time, I I started to spend more time with my family. Uh, I, at the time, was living up in the Salt Lake Valley, and so I would drive down Monday through Friday to work, um, but then I started. My family just started b- inviting me to Sunday dinner, and uh, that was every Sunday. And so it, I was driving down six days a week. And then if there was a BYU sporting event, that was on Saturday. And so I was driving down seven days a week down to Utah County. Um, but I think that I don't think my man, family knew they they were ministering to me. But I think, and in, in looking back, they were ministering to me just by spending time with me.
0: And they knew, of course, you were gay and yes. out of the church. And did they bring up your return to the church and um, invite you back? Or were they just kind of just putting their arms around you, and say you're a member of the family? They,
1: they put were putting my, their arms around me and saying, uh, you're a member of the family. And around that time, I, I can't remember exactly, is when my brother had introduced his partner to the family. And, and we've just embraced Dell as part of the family and treat him like he's an uncle. Um, and uh, so there was, I'll say the satisfaction of knowing that my family loved us for us, uh, whether we were gay or not, whether we were active in the church or not. Um, and uh, I do, I'll do, i always remember the one time at a family dinner where my dad turned to me and said, Dave, would you say the, the prayer? And I had not prayed in, in so many years. And uh, the spirit, I think just, has always been there trying to like tap at your heart trying to soften it just trying to get your attention and just the i think that was part of the little the little steps that the the savior provides to help find help people find their way back the little breadcrumbs that hansel and gretel follow um and so it was little things uh, like that Uh, i had the opportunity to photograph my two of my brothers uh were married Uh, one was sealed in the uh, Salt Lake Temple and one was sealed in the uh, Snowflake, Arizona Temple. And to be on the outside during that ceremony uh, in many ways was heartbreaking. And I had just had this uh, these thoughts of it would be so nice to be in that sealing room to witness a family member being sealed forever. And just I started thinking more and more about uh, the promise of the temple and the promise really the Christ's mission uh, in addition to the atonement was to uh, seal families and that a family is together forever and that is I think ultimately if I was ever to peg the line of what brought me back is that I just wanted I want to take the Lord up on his promise that families are forever.
0: There's some pretty tender parts of that story, David. David, would you say the family prayer? And your father probably sensing it was time to ask you to do that. And maybe you would have said it any time, but maybe two years ago you wouldn't have. I don't know. Yeah. But I love the way—I'm also interested that your brother, when he started to bring his partner, his male partner, that that you saw the family just accept your brother and his partner. Were you— did that make it harder for you? Because here you've got your brother and his partner in the family being accepted, and did that make it harder for you to want to stay in the church knowing that even your family might accept your partner just the way they're accepting your brother's partner? Or did—just share with our listeners your thought process as that all went down.
1: Well, the, there hadn't been too many times of—because uh, uh, I had tried dating, and I was, I, I, I've decided I'm horrible at dating uh, which is probably why it's easy to, easier in my life to be celibate these these days is there's no pressure. Uh, but it, it, in many ways, uh, knowing that my uh, brother had a partner, I, I, I was, I'm happy for them, and uh, we love them. And and in some ways, it's like oh, I feel that, that the one thing I guess I did feel was that. I no longer felt special as the only gay in the family when I found out, <laughs> oh, no, there's two of us. Uh, and, and in many ways, at the time, I thought, well, we're the layman and lemuel of the family. And uh, when my niece found out that we were, that I thought we were layman and lemuel, they're like, Dave, you're not layman and lemuel. She was a little bit sad that I thought that. Good, uh, But uh, we don't know what uh, Paul's uh, path will be in the long term or in this lifetime, but we'll love him no matter what. It's that unconditional family love. And I knew that my parents would love me no matter what. And uh, whether I was single or dating or uh, now back in the church, I think uh, a mother's love uh, knows no bounds. Uh, I know she was upset when she found out. I didn't tell her, my dad did. And, And I can't imagine that phone call where uh, not phone call but where he told her in person that you have two sons that are gay and she had mentioned and she never has sworn ne doesn't use foul language but she mentioned that she was on a, an, a several hour trip in Texas and or no Colorado at the time and just uh, letting loose all the devil's tongues I guess just very upset and uh so I think for any parent to find out
0: It's a journey for parents. It, it is
1: it is a big journey.
0: And but you've think, been on this road for a long time since the Philippines and have known, but sometimes for parents they just find out and they have to go through the process.
1: Yeah. But I I do I do remember when uh I was able to go through the temple for the uh I'll say for the first time. It was for an endowment session with a family down in Gilbert, Arizona. And uh the family members that were able to, who had temple recommends, and and were in the area, were able to go. And uh, the Gilbert, Arizona temple is beautiful, um, and just to be in, in the endowment room together. But then, uh, I, I happened to be the last one in the family to go through the veil and into the celestial room, and just the spirit that we had, that I felt, and and it really felt like this is what it will be like. Uh, when we pass from this mortal coil into the uh, spirit spirit world and into the eternities, that uh, the family relationships don't end. Uh, and I found comfort in the last conference talk, uh, where I think it was President Iring mentioned that an apostle said that if we just focus on living a celestial life now, that our family re- we can't imagine how great the family relationships will be in the eternities.
0: I love that. and A thought came to my mind as you were talking about your mom. What's your mom's first name again?
1: Her name's Carol Ann.
0: So I'm thinking of Carol Ann here and you describing her unconditional love for you and the heart of a loving mother. And I think sometimes children make the very best decisions when they just feel unconditionally loved. And so here you are, you know, considering coming back to the church. And at this point, I think— your your parents would love you to come back to the church, but I think they're just loving you. And that's signified by the love for you and even your brother and his partner that are accepted. So you know your mom's heart, and I sometimes think that those kind of hearts create the best outcomes in children. It may take some time, but I think sometimes that versus in a, a heart that has a real agenda, a heart that is manipulative in a way, and I think we all know what our moms want for us. Yes. Um, But I I think there's a power in that unconditional love that can help the very best behavior happen over the long term. So I think that's – your mom's awesome.
1: She she is wonderful. And I think the most disappointment she's ever shown in in me in the decisions that I made is when she found out that I had uh, gotten several tattoos. (laughs) And I purposely wore a tank top, which showed it because they're on the shoulders. And she's like, Dave, I'm very disappointed.
0: So we can so disappoint So that—that That is
1: uh, of, of everything that I've done in my life. <laughs> I think that was the most uh, disappointment that she showed in me was when I had gotten a tattoo.
0: So sometimes I meet with people that think they're too far gone to come back. And, you know, you talk about the prodigal son, that faraway land, to use the wording, I think, in Luke. And they feel like they can't come back. Did you feel that way? I did. Or did you— Tell, yeah, tell our yeah. listeners because that might be helpful for others that are thinking, "I'm too far gone. This I can't do it. I don't know how to do it, even if I wanted to." Yeah,
1: well, and not to say that I've done everything but murder, because I'm sure there's <laughs> things that I've haven't yet ever thought that would be a, a, a commandment to break. Um, but I did. I think, and that's I think many times Satan's greatest tool is to make us feel like we're too gone or too far uh maybe we're just wandering in the mists in lehi's dream um other times we may find ourselves in the uh the the building that he described that was the pride of the world um and and whatever wherever we are often I, I i there were times where i just felt i was like there's no hope for me and it would i felt it was just maybe too embarrassing to go to a a priesthood leader to to find help um and i think that uh the part of the repentance process was overcoming that fear. And so when I finally did decide to return, it's like, you know what, whatever the bishop asks, whatever the priest leadership asks of me to do, I I, I had surrendered myself to uh, wow. the Lord's decision wow. and to uh, put it in his hands. And I think that was the biggest change. And when I decided to come back was just to open up, uh, treat, my life as an open book and just uh, do whatever the Lord and and his messengers or his representatives asked of me.
0: Talk about that Bishop's interview. I don't know if the very first Bishop's interview, you kind of turned into repentance interview or if that came in a later interview, but talk. The
1: the first time actually, I won't call it the, uh, well, I had gone to uh, church and it happened to be in Sandy. It took two or three attempts to find the right time that the ward met. And uh, uh, in Utah, actually, I had to drive my car to find the chapel, which seems like a far, far way to go. <laughs> and so I went and it just felt weird to be wearing a white uh, shirt and tie again. Um, I've never been a f- fan of white shirts and unless I lose weight, I don't look great in a white shirt. But uh, when I was there, uh, people know when there's a new person in the ward and they, uh, they felt me, made me feel very welcome. I I actually remembered some of the hymns that were sung that day, and uh, the uh, the uh, I was I found the they helped me find the bishop pretty quickly, and they said, "Can I and the bishopric come and visit you at your home?" And uh, so that uh, that week they came over, and I think I was ready to just start confessing everything right then and but there. But you've got the
0: whole bishopric there. The
1: whole bishopric <laughs> was there. It's like, look, I'm coming back to church. I've been inactive for. 12 13 years and i'm gay and i've done gay stuff and i've broken commandments and they're like here let's talk about this another time we just want to get to know you it's
0: cool you just wanted you knew that that's part of the process and you're ready to do
1: that yeah. so even
0: though you've got all three there
1: yes but uh that's
0: a credit to you yes a well, credit and, and, to you and <laughs> um and just what you wanted to do and where you want to move forward
1: yeah, well, and and uh, Bishop Kunzler, I'm sorry, Bishop Kunzler was uh, the bishop in that Sandy Ward, and, and he was just amazing. Uh, so uh, from there, they were like, here, let's uh, set up a time just between you and me, and uh, we'll take all the time that you need to just go over uh, life and what uh, you need to do. Um, and uh, so I felt so much I felt lighter after I had un- unleashed unleashed that burden uh, to him, and uh, he he took that information and talked to the state president, and they decided because of my heart and and the desire to return to church that uh, they they felt that a, a, a disfellowshipment would probably be the right course of action. I was ready to be excommunicated and and just like. I, I figured that would take ten years, or however long it would take. I, I was ready to do whatever the Lord and uh, wanted me to do, uh, to resolve and and to find that repentance and to find uh, Christ's grace, to find His atoning sacrifice for me.
0: Um, that's a beautiful story. Um, it's a win-win. And I think a lot of angels are smiling on the other side of the villain. I think Christ is smiling because you've taken advantage of this gift that he's already given. And I love where you were. He says, I'm just, when you came back, he says, I'm just turning my will to God. And I don't know if I'll be excommunicated for 10 years. I just, and I just don't care because I'm coming back. Yeah. And I'm just surrendering that. And I'm walking out of that faraway land and I'm walking out and I, and i don't know what exactly is going to happen that father in the field represents heavenly father or christ or a bishop and i love the visual imagery of that being daylight and that father running towards each of us as we come out of the faraway land it's the most powerful parable to me david because it it says when we've been in that faraway land what you know do we come back as a son or a servant the the prodigal thought, Well, my station in life is forever different. Well and and, and I'm it, second class and I'll be forever different. And yeah. the parable answers that question.
1: Well and I had I had when I when I made the decision that do you know what I need to change my life. I, I ended up texting my parents at lunchtime and said, Mom and Dad, I, I think I want to come back to church. And uh, they said, Can you come over? And so I drove over to their house. The whole time I'm crying, and so when I arrived, uh, they gave me a hug. I gave hug them, and and we just talked for I think two hours. And then, towards the the end of that, I, I asked my dad for a father's blessing. A blessing. And now was this before you met with the bishop? This or? is before I met with the bishop, and uh, and I would just said uh, like uh, I. I I won't say that I had been confessing things to my parents, but just like this is what I want to do, and this is uh, how I think you guys can help me, and uh, I just thank them for being great parents. And I, I, I later, I, I think uh, they mentioned, and it may have been months or so later, they just mentioned that uh, my uncle, uh, who uh, had before he had taken his life. Had uh, he had gone on a very special, I guess, spiritual journey where he just felt that certain family members had fallen away from the church. But he said, David, I, I'm going to say now we'll return to the church. Wow. And so that's something that my parents had never told me. Wow. And something they very special. They could have special. told you
0: that in a manipulative way, but they just said this, we're going to not tell David that right now.
1: Right. And I I found out later, and and I was just, oh my gosh, Heavenly Father knows our paths before we do. Uh, But we're still free to make those choices. Uh, He loves us, he's there to support us and help us find our way. He sends angels in the form of our parents or brothers, sisters, friends, church leaders. Um, He even sends us trials to help guide us uh, towards the, the, the iron rod, and uh, just to have my parents there the whole way. I'm, I'm thankful that they've had in good health where they were able to be there uh, when I came back.
0: And you came back at about age um, 40-ish? Probably, probably about 40. So you yeah. could say at age 40, I'm not gonna involve my parents in my life. I'm pretty much an adult. And I love the humility where you involved your parents and recognize their stewardship and their personal revelation still for your life. And I love the way you turn to your dad for a priesthood blessing. I just think that's great humility on your part and a sign of your tender heart and wanting to do what's right. And I'm sure if we had your parents on the podcast right now, that would be one of their finest parenting days. I bet when your dad blessed you that day, knowing what you wanted to do was one of the finest parenting opportunities that's ever been given to him and for you and your, for your parents to share that with you and you to involve them in the process. And I just think that brings the the family bonds tighter together and it's a credit to you and your parents. And you're talking about real tough stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us, you know, I don't know if you remember, it sounds like this was a wonderful Bishop experience. Do you remember anything he said in particular that was very helpful to you? Because if I were, you know, a bishop, I might get a pointer or two because <laughs> I'm not sure I'd ever have any training on what do I do with a guy yeah. that's gay and been out of the church and with men. And and I don't know if I know what to say to yeah. just do you remember what he's some of the things he said that were helpful.
1: I, I think the greatest thing is that uh, he's like, David just know that we love you. Just, we're very happy for you. I won't say the word pride, you might've said we're proud of you, but uh, they were just happy that I was there. And he's like, you are in the right place. Um, I had the chance one time around a state conference where Elder Fisher of the 70 uh, had asked that people who had been returning to church come into an early morning meeting beforehand. And he had just gone around the room asking people uh, what their special story was, how they found the church again, or what brought them back. And I i don't think he re- saw my hand go up. Uh, and so he, he closed the meeting, and the stake president uh, said, you need to talk to Brother Daniels. And um, they brought me in and just, he and I sat down, it was in the Relief Society room, and I shared, him, shared with him the story, my story of having fallen away, but also finding my way back. And he, he said to me, You're on the right track. And I just had lost, I was crying already. I'm crying now, but it was knowing then that I'm on the right track, that I have a heavenly father that loves me, heavenly parents that love me and that they picked the parents that I have to teach me when I was young to find the right path. Even when I fell away, they were there for me and always loved me. And uh, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters who have supported me, um, and and I'm thankful for the gospel and for a Savior who, who loves me.
0: That's a pretty— That's really good spirit here, David, as you're sharing. I love the power of what your bishops, it's interesting of all the things you've probably talked about with your bishop, the thing you mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing his, we love you and we want you here. And I wonder in your dark days, if you thought that was true, if you thought a priesthood leader would want you to be in the congregation, given that you're gay and given that you've been out of the church and and I think that's what Christ would say. But I love that he said that. And you sense the sincerity of him saying, we we want you to be here. You're welcome. We need you.
1: I don't know if I, 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 I don't think it ever crossed my mind that there were uh, uh, priesthood leaders being prepared. Because I think. Being prepared. Because uh, when a bishop is called, I don't think there's anything that is, Uh, suddenly a light switch, I don't think there's anything that suddenly prepares you. I think you're being prepared throughout your life. And I think that the Savior knew that at one point I was going to need the help of uh, a great bishop and a great home teacher Uh, when I returned that would just be there for me. Who would understand? And even though, as new, uh, I think he had served for about seven years and had never encountered (laughs) uh, something like that. And uh, even in the current ward where I am, uh, uh, my bishop had called me in for just to give me a calling as I think temple uh, prep teacher. And I just mentioned because I was going to be giving a talk that day that I was going to announce to the to the ward that I was gay, and he's like, he sort of sits up like, "What, you're gay?" Uh, and and he just thought that uh, it was very special for me to be there in the ward because somehow I might be able to help people.
0: Did he uh, still keep you have the calling?
1: Yes. Yeah. Good. And uh, and I and he later, uh, probably about a year or two later, he just mentioned that. He knew of, and he didn't mention names, but he did say that one or two people might be struggling with uh, same-sex attraction uh, in the ward, and that he asked if I would be willing, if okay. needed, to uh, just provide some comfort or guidance or just some, and I said, you bet, if anyone wants to talk to me, I will talk to them, share them uh, what I know, I, which doesn't seem like it would be a lot, but I think yeah, but sometimes a it's great just being
0: story. there. You have a great story and uh, you know you, you can lead other people out of the faraway land and they know it may be in the faraway land for different reasons, but you can lead people out. Talk about, you know, so you're in your 40s. Talk about your future. Do you want to marry a woman? Do you want to stay celibate? How, Or do you just try to take it six months at a time and... Not have an answer to all those questions.
1: Right now, uh, the short answer is I'm planning on being celibate uh, for the rest of my life. Um, it doesn't sound easy, uh, but in, in many ways it's gotten easier over time. I, I'm sort of used to going to movies on my own. It's a great way to find a, an empty seat at a movie theater if you don't have to find two uh I saw the new <laughs> Avengers movie twice in the same day because I was able to just like, "Ooh, this is easy." That's awesome. Um, but I am fi- I keep myself busy with photography, with my day job, and spending time with my family, and those are my priorities. Uh, and I can see that maybe in five years, ten, who knows? Uh, I can I might run into somebody where there is a connection and. Even though I wouldn't be...
0: Male or female? Uh,
1: female. I do not plan on ever uh, I'll, uh, leaving the iron rod. And uh, I'll be friends with people who are gay. I love uh, the, the friends that I still have. Uh, and I wish I could make more friends. I think that's everybody's hope. But I, I if I find the right person... And, and I've heard people say that I found my spouse when I wasn't looking. And uh, so that's my backup plan, but for for now, uh, and it is oftentimes just a one day at a time. We find the enough strength for that day. What's the
0: best thing I can say to you as a fellow Latter Day Saint, knowing you're gay and wanna and you're in your 40s, you've got a long road ahead of you. What's the best thing I can say to you to just to help you? I think. Do I say uh-huh. it's really hard? Do I say you're gonna? It's going to work out okay. Do I just listen to your story? And- Probably
1: ask questions like, "So, what do you do?" or "How do how?" What? just listening, I think, is one way to find out uh, how to help somebody because it might change from one day to another. Um, I do find that being single, oftentimes, I don't get to have the right kind of. I I think we're very social people and we like to have conversations with people. And so when I do have somebody's ear to talk to, I sometimes go too far and talk too much. And uh, so sometimes just having someone to talk to is uh, a blessing. And uh, hopefully I don't scare people away from talking too much.
0: That's helpful. I think of the square peg in the round hole. And in some ways our LGBTQ members in the church are square pegs. And there's a lot of round holes out there, and it's and there's tension when a square peg is forced into a round hole. But um, I spoke at an event, and a woman made a really observant perspective. She says, there's no square holes out there. And so I don't think you're meant to become a round peg. In other words, your sexual orientation to me is represents a square peg. And I think you know this better than I do, is that that's not changing. Yeah. Um, it's who you are, and it's who God created you as, and it's just who you are. And, and, but then I think the responsibility is on us as a society and as a church to create better square holes so that you can belong. So, fitting in is sort of assessing a situation and becoming something you aren't to fit in. So, it's you becoming a round peg. While belonging doesn't require us to change who we are, it requires us to be who you are. So, you are, you are now gay. You've always been gay. Yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> but you're just talking about it, David, and you you own it, and it's who you are, and you're not pushing it down. And I think it's a great time, sign of emotional and spiritual maturity. But then I look at the way we're creating a little bit of a square peg for you because your ward loves you and because your family loves you and because that bishop looks you in the eye and says, we need you and we love you. And he's not saying he loves you because you're a closeted round peg he knows you're gay because yeah. you've just talked to him. So he knows you're a square peg and he's, and he says the very same thing. And I have to think that that's part of you feeling a feeling of belonging. It's still not easy. You're single. You, you're going to be celibate. You're going to be alone, but you're also doing things to, to create community around you friends or, you've, you know, or going to the movie and, and this wonderful family. So I think between the church and your family and you, you're creating a feeling of belonging, and so you can do this really difficult road.
1: Yeah, I, I and I think trying to find uh, purposes where I, I can do a service, I think, is uh, has been helpful. Uh, just finding uh, projects to help other people. Uh, I'm probably the one person in the elders quorum who will try, if they announce it, uh, show up at every time someone's moving, and because and, that seems like What's the you're one- calling? calling right now? I am the ward music chairman. That's great. Which uh, is I help to recommend who should play the organ from what I understand. Do you
0: get to choose the songs? I've always wondered who does that, David. When
1: when I was first asked, the bishop's like, no, you don't choose the song. Right now, I think the way that goes is the organist who is playing that Sunday picks the songs because they I've know I've never
0: what known comfortable. how that works. That does make sense.
1: Although I have been asked like every other every few weeks, are you the one who picks the songs, David? <laughs> and uh I, I think I'm just there as a resource for either the choir director, uh for uh, if someone I I end up leading the music and uh uh, so, uh Pre- sacrament meeting. Sorry,
0: you're doing fine. And
1: or and, or I have led music in in primary. Uh, the first time I did that, people thought I was Santa Claus because I have a fairly salt and pepper beard, and I could probably lose some weight. And so they're like, we Santa Claus <laughs> uh, led led the music in primary, mommy. And so the next time I was there, I'm like, I'm not Santa Claus. I'm I'm his brother, Bob Claus. <laughs> Bob Claus. And so. I love the
0: way your words put you to work and I love the way they need you. We all feel, we all have a need to feel needed. Yes. And um, any final things you'd like to leave with our listeners, Dave?
1: I I think that when we find out that we have a family member or a friend uh, who is gay, uh, we need to just let them know that we love them. And whether they make the choices we want them to make uh, to be there for them and not to be uh, preaching to them, because in many ways we had that chance. Because uh, I have at least one gay cousin, and a, my cousin has a son who is gay. And so in our family, it just, my dad is, uh, I think in many ways I, I get to be the example my dad wanted, but not That's quite the way he thought it was going to be. It's cool. He thought I was going to t- somehow turn straight through therapy but does he I mean, think that anymore it, he may still uh being a uh, he has a degree in educational psychology so he probably has that idea be, of behind behavioral science of if you squirt somebody with water enough they'll stop doing bad behaviors or that's with pets i don't mm-hmm. know but uh but you I, seem at peace with that You I, just sort I think of he's at peace and you're um, at
0: peace that there may be some differences there yeah. but you're a family
1: and and I won't say that my mom has suggested, Dave, you can always get married someday. And it's like, that could happen, mom, but that's not my plan right now. But then again, if you want God to laugh, just tell him your plans. So
0: thank you, David Daniels, for joining us on an episode of Listen, Learn, Love. It's been it's a Monday night here in my home. And it's been really enjoyable for me just to hear your wonderful story and your spirit and just your ability to walk out of that faraway land and to to return and the courage that took and the tender moments with your family and your ward. Um, And I don't know if God would say he always knew you'd need to spend some time out of the church. Sometimes when I met with someone coming back, neither of us would invite someone to leave just to have that experience. I don't want to communicate that. But certainly when I served, I met some people and I just got the impression that well, oh, God kind of knew they needed a period of time um, to learn, and it would help them in the long run. And I don't think God wants us to leave or wants us to make mistakes, but I think he has a long view of mortality, and I would think he'd just say, David, this is where I always thought you'd be. You're back in the church. You're serving. You've always had a testimony. And, and I think one of the things that God would say is, yeah, the, re- the repentance process made you clean, but there's wonderful life lessons that you learned that come with you. So it's not like, it's not like in a, a cassette tape, which I, most of my listeners don't even know what that is. We do David, Yes. <laughs> even though I'm 10 years or more older than you, but where you just erase stuff and it's gone. Repentance isn't like that. Cause that, that tape of your whole life out of the church still exists. The repentance took all that out, but there's wonderful life lessons that help you be a better person. And So that's, What I feel about the repentance, and that's why, that back to that parable, is that father ran to his son, and he didn't make him the servant. He put a ring on his finger on a coat that says, You come back as a son. Nothing's changed here. And to me, that's the beautiful doctrine of the atonement that you know firsthand. And, And then you're able to help so many people, and I think that's part of your mission. And this podcast will be one of those. So thank you, David, for joining us on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler.